So Money Episode 547 and Showcat, author of The Big Life. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. We're going to learn how to make our mess our mojo today. I love the sound of that. I'm bringing back a lovely guest who's released a new book called The Big Life. Embrace the mess, work your side hustle, find a monumental relationship, and become the badass babe you were meant to be. Anne Choquette is here. She's the former editor-in-chief of Seventeen Magazine. And if you missed her on the podcast, the first go-around, Go back to the site, take a listen, episode 328. So the fact is millennial women want to have it all. I hate that expression, but here we are. They want the career that comes with the money. They want friendships. They want a relationship where they are loved and respected. That all sounds great. I want that. But is it really possible? Anne says, yes, exclamation point. And in the book, she provides actionable guidance from high-profile millennial women who are on the quest to, quote-unquote, have it all. And I think Anne would agree that that is not necessarily the best way to describe pursuing your dreams and living a big life. This idea of having it all can be very overwhelming and not very accurate. Um, So we go into that as well. And in the end, Anne wants to help the younger generation create their own version of the big life without compromise. And by the way, if you're a baby boomer listening or you're in your 60s, um, which I know some of you do listen to the show and you tell me you do, even though you feel a little um, like maybe an outlier, you're not. We, we hear you. We love you. We, we're so happy you're here. She says, you know, there's a lot we can learn from the millennial perspective and the millennial approach to life, that they're not all these entitled Instagram obsessed people, that there's a lot we can actually learn from them. So here we go. Here is Anne Choquette on The Big Life. And Showcat, welcome back to So Money, this time big time author. Great to have oh, you. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I love, I am loving your podcast. You are crushing it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I also love your newsletter, Badass Babes. <laughs> thank so you. Brilliant. I love doing I, I look it. forward to that newsletter, really. If anyone wants to know what I'm talking about, just, just trust me on this. Go to Anne's website and sign up for her newsletter. It's phenomenal. It's really interesting and relevant because it really ties in well with what's happening in the world and how we can kind of keep our sanity and just great anecdotes. It's very uplifting. It's very needed. Thank you. Yeah. And showcat.com, please join us. You know, I feel like we don't talk enough about what, what the world means to us, right? Like we spend, there's so much news. We're so bombarded nonstop with like information, information. And my newsletter is a chance to say like, hold up, how does this really affect us? What does this mean for us? For like for young women who are young and hungry and ambitious and want to make their mark on the world and yet the world is so overwhelming and confusing. Mm-hmm. Like let's just take a minute and like put it into perspective. So that's the badass babes. I love it. One of my favorite quotes from the interview you gave last time you were on So Money and if you haven't listened to that everybody go back in the archives at somoneypodcast.com click 
on search, type in Anne Choquette, you'll find it. It's a brilliant interview. And one of the takeaways I loved was you said, my mission in life is to help young women find the confidence to walk into any room and own it. And in many ways, you've done this throughout your career as at running 17 and being a real voice for millennial women. But now you also have written the manual. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Called The Big yes. Life. Tell us about The Big Life. Um, you know, uh, last time you were on the show, you were in the midst of writing it. Now it's come out. Has it been everything you thought it would be in terms of reaction and um, people's uh, feedback? Absolutely. So much more. I am, I am so honored to have created a sisterhood. Honestly, that's what the book has done. It's created a sisterhood of young women who are helping each other through the trickiest bits of becoming who you're meant to be. And it all goes back to, I think, that 16-year-old dream that you had, sitting in your bedroom, looking out the window, imagining a big world out there and a big life for yourself. And I have interviewed the most powerful women in the world in the course of my career. And there's not a single one of them who can't point to that 16-year-old dream for herself. Um, and so, you know, it's it's true of high-powered women, of women just starting out in their career, of women who are sort of pivoting in the middle of their career. Those dreams that you have when you are a 16-year-old is are so powerful and are such a promise to yourself, right, that you're going to do big things. And it's before you're bogged down by ugh, jobs you didn't get or mortgages or um, – or as you as we talk about a lot here on so many the credit card debt or the education debt that you're having the school debt that you're having and so before all of that what did you imagine for yourself and how can you get it get everything you want on your own terms how do you measure as along the way as you're trying to achieve the big life how do you measure opportunities and say, okay, this is something that's going to help me get closer, or this is something that's going to set me back. I was watching an episode of Girls, right? And there was this one um, episode where she, I think it was, uh, gosh, I don't know all their names, but the one, the really quirky one that went to Japan, she was going to leave mm -hmm. a guy in the dust to Shosh. go to Japan. Yeah, Shosh. And, <laughs> but like, it wasn't readily obvious to her what to do. And her girlfriends were like, you can't, she, I think initially she was going to stay back and be with this man. But then she ended up going to Japan. Um, so when you're debating between your love life and your career life, is there is what takes precedence? How do you weigh those options? Because I know in your book you do talk about having all of it, and I and I think that's so important because much of the advice that I got growing up was career oriented advice, which I'm very grateful for. But that they every, every no one talked about how to really be successful in your relationship, which turns out is important too. Absolutely. So the, yeah. yes. Um, so how do you decide, how do you weigh what's important to you and what's going to be a valuable, like a valuable lesson for you or a valuable experience for you? And to be honest, this is the piece that millennial women are driving so strongly, which is the difference between this idea of having it all, which to me sounds like exhausting, right? It just sounds like like I have to live up to somebody else's standards of what it all means. No, thank you. And so there's a whole generation of young women who are crafting a life on their own terms in the way they want. They say, I want twists and turns and adventure. I want freedom from the office. I want freedom from the rules. I want freedom from FaceTime. I want to 
I want to, I want to have a life outside the office. And that doesn't necessarily mean your children, right? Like work-life balance for young women before they have children doesn't, is still work-life balance, right? You still want to have life. Although I think work-life balance is complete BS, but we can talk about that in a second. The, the thing that I've been so stunned by with young women is this idea of finding meaning in their work and in their life and finding happiness. And that's the thing that drives you, not should you do it? Is it good? Does it look good on your resume? Is this going to help you get promoted? It's, is this bringing you meaning and purpose? And is it making you happy? I, in the research for this book, I had a series of dinners um, at my house. I called them the badass babes dinners because these were the chicks that were, you want to be confident, rule-breaking, game-changing. And here they are around my, around my dining room table, six, eight young women. And um, during one of the dinners, uh, this woman was telling a story about how she was up for her first job. And she was early in her career. It was maybe she was in her second job. And she was talking about her first job interview at a major magazine for a very heavy-hitting publisher. And she'd made it to the final round and she was, she was face-to-face with this woman. And she, at the end of the interview, the woman said, so do you have any other questions for me? And this young woman said, well, are you happy in your job? Are you happy here? And I gasped. I thought to myself, like, what? If someone asked me that, I would be like, (laughs) all right, pipsqueak out of my office. But to this young woman, that was the most important thing. She wanted to work at a place that was going to make her happy, where the people who were engaged in the work there were happy. If it had been me when I was 22 years old, I would have said, nope, no more questions. Thank you so much. When can I start? You know, it would have, I would have been just so excited to have a job. And here she was pushing back to find happiness and meaning. And that to me is a really stunning shift that's being driven by millennial women. I get that. But then what was the response? Did the hiring manager, did the editor say, good question? Or did she ask her to leave? (laughs) Well, she got the job. So I don't know what the response was, but she got the job in the end. And um, she, you know, I think she's as happy as she could be in this job. And she knows she's learning a lot, right? She's in a sort of a traditional corporate environment. But actually, the sort of good twist to this story is she's got a side hustle. And if you met her at a cocktail party, she would be very likely to start with a side hustle, right? To say that she runs events and marketing for this young 20-something website. And that's, you know, that is a part of the big life, right? Is that, yes, you know you need to learn the rules of business and you need the contacts. And and frankly, it's, it's um, there's a lot of resources in, um, you know, big corporations and in big jobs. But you still want the adventure and the excitement of building something on your own and teaching yourself as you go and, and hanging out and building something with a bunch of other women who are like in the same boat as you. Um, so I'm a big fan of the side hustle secret to success. Oh, you know, I am too. We talk about it all the time on the show. It, it got me out of debt, but it also built my career. Uh, in, in, I guess inadvertently, um, that's the beauty, right? You start a side hustle, you never know where it'll take you. One thing I, I had would- my side hustle. I, I launched a website back in mm-hmm. 1996, which when I tell the story, <laughs> other people are like, yeah, everybody launches a website. I was like, no, no. it was 1996. Nobody launched a website. No, no one. 
That's incredible. Um, quickly, just going back to the young woman who asked the boss, are you happy? I might give a little bit of a tweak to that question for future people if you're thinking that's something I want to ask because I do think there can be a – it can come off as a little condescending. I mean, it just can. And so instead, maybe you ask, what's the most fulfilling part of your job? Or when you think about this job, what makes you happiest? You know, kind of putting it in that – I feel like because people have asked me that question, I can't help but wonder – What's really like, are they trying to suggest that this job is not a happy job or that I, I came off as an unhappy interviewer? <laughs> yeah. So just be well, careful me- because only because it's not, I know she was well-intentioned, but when you're in an interview environment, there's a lot of judgment and there's a lot of uh, assessment that is going to be quick and maybe unfair sometimes. So you just want to protect yourself and make sure that you're coming across as someone who is being genuine. You know, there is a huge gulf of misunderstanding between millennial women and their Gen X or boomer bosses. And I and one of the things that I've been stunned by is how millennial women are really unable to see the world through their boss's eyes. But their bosses are also pretty unable to see it the other way too. Like, you know, you I'm sure you hear it all the time, ugh, millennials are so entitled. They're so mm-hmm. lazy. Why can't they why do they call Task Rabbit for everything? You know, why <laughs> do they why can't they just get up from their desk easier, and man. do it? It's frankly, we should all I, I think value those my are some time. pretty good tips. <laughs> right. A hundred percent. But at the other on the other hand, you know, I see these young women and they're hungry to move up and move around and they say to themselves, Uh, I've been in this job for nine months. I know how to do this. I can do this with my eyes closed. Why are you not moving me up? Why am I not getting promoted? Why do I not have a title change? And the thing that, that one of the important pieces of my message is to say, look, nine months to you is everything. You are in your first or your second job and you can see this big glittering oasis where you want to end up. But to your boss, nine months is a blip. And the work that you have to do is like not is uh, the work that must be done is part of a strategic plan that is greater than you and your need for a promotion. And as much as no one wants to hear, just sit still and wait to get promoted. You need to understand how you fit into the bigger picture. Now, I'm also a huge proponent of like, if you feel like you're sitting still and not getting promoted and the world is moving by go. You should go, right? You should find the job that's going to be right for you. You're never, you're never going to change the big system that's, that's not giving you the raise and not giving you the promotion in time. If you need to go, you should go. Somebody wrote into me recently, a, re, a, a listener and said, I think she was in her twenties, probably mid, mid to late twenties and said, you know, all my friends are traveling the world right now. And I feel like uh, I'm missing out. I'm working a great job and I'm doing, I'm being productive and I'm, I'm getting ahead in my career. But it's like, you know, I think as millennials, you sort of look at everything, everyone else is what they're doing and wonder, you know, am I missing out? Am I doing the right thing? So how do you, I guess the question is, how do you become certain in your path given that there's so many other ways to go about it and your friends are doing it differently and you might feel tugged and pulled in different directions? The FOMO is real. 
right? You are sitting on your phone, looking at your Instagram feed and you're seeing people who are crushing it, right? High five, it's on vacation. <laughs> They're, they have, you know, access, right? This idea of like access, you're hanging out at Davos or you're at South by and summit at sea and like the photos are amazing and you're rubbing elbows with the most amazing people. It's real, right? That it, and and the person who's posting those pictures is doing it to drive you nuts if you're not there. And no matter how sort of humble or ironic or or whatever the sort of eye rolling the caption is, they know that they're driving you bonkers. And so you need to recognize that that they're they're purposefully trying to say, look at me. And yet they're probably on their phone looking at everybody else's pictures, wondering what other parties they're missing and why aren't they having, a, why aren't they crushing it like someone else? And so those, that is actually a lot of the young women um, who came and sat around my dining room table were doing digital cleanses. We're saying, I'm not posting to Facebook. It's driving me bonkers because I'm seeing all my friends getting married, right? That's what Facebook, Facebook is about the I'm getting married, right. we got engaged brag. They stopped on Instagram. You know, the Snapchat or Instagram stories is sort of a little bit unvarnished and sort of that's a little bit more charming in a safer place, but still it's about it's about being on the inside and and look at me and and why aren't you here too? Ha ha ha. And so, you know, this digital cleanse idea and sort of listening to yourself and being true to yourself is really compelling. Michelle Fawn, the biggest of the big, right? The massive YouTube star who um, I am so honored wrote the foreword to my book. When I reached out to her to write the foreword, she didn't get back to me for a while. We've known, and she and I have known each other for a long time. I thought, gosh, that's weird. And she got back to me and she said, I've been doing a digital cleanse. Sorry, I didn't check my email for two weeks. I was blown away. Yeah, a YouTube like, star not checking email, doing a cleanse digitally. That's if she can do it, I can do it. And what's amazing about Michelle is actually she's sort of taken it further and she has she has been traveling and she's been focusing on her life. If you see her, I've been following her on her Instagram stories. And like she's um, she also did a makeup free cleanse, which I think is pretty great mm -hmm. for a, for a beauty star. Um, but she's traveling and having experiences. She's in Japan and like it's so cute. Everything that she's doing is amazing. So um, I really love this idea that you need to get away from the one upmanship of social media to figure out what feels right to you. And that's how you find the path. That's how you find your path. Let's talk about work-life balance being a sham. You know, just Ugh. reading the subtitle of your book, Work Your Side Hustle, Find a Monumental Relationship, Become the Badass Babe You're Meant to Be. It's a busy, messy, abundant life. Um, so what is it? What do we call it then? We just call it embracing the busy or embracing the mess. And how do we yes. find, how do we find order in that? Cause some of us just, we are hardwired to want to know, you know, what's going to come next and to be linear in our, in our path and to be a little bit more, um, you know, aware of how we are managing our time. Cause that does actually bring us fulfillment. So what's your answer to that? So, Look, I believe 100% work-life balance is a sham. I have young women come up to me when I do speeches and they say, 
So excuse me, um, can you just help me understand work-life balance? And I look at them and I, I want to know what that means to them, right? Because it's not the old-fashioned idea of I have kids and I've got to, I have to navigate pickup at, you know, school pickup and after school activities and still hit my deadlines at work because these are women who, who are still in the early stages of their career and don't have children and in their relationships, frankly, and don't have children yet. And so there's a lot of anxiety that's created around this idea of work-life balance. And I say this to them, it is hard to do big things and that's why we do them. And it's a mess, right? You have to, if you want a life of twists and turns and adventure, and you want a life that's full and you want to make your mark, you have to chase every opportunity and you have to go to every cocktail party where you might meet someone and you have to, and you, and yet you want to climb mountains and scuba dive and go on vacation and fall in love. And, you know, you, you, you must be in it to win it. And so you have to embrace the mess. There are, um, you know, the mess is not always great. I think that there, I think the mess, um, sometimes the mess is your mojo, right? I used to work for this woman who her desk was literally a mess and it was such a mess that I, I'm a big piler and not a filer. So I have a lot of clutter around. I'm comfortable with a lot of clutter, but this woman's desk was like layers and layers and layers of post-its. And yet if something came up in a meeting that she needed, she says, oh wait, it's on a post-it over here, right here. And she was able to find it. And frankly, she tells me that when she cleans her desk, she's not able to think, right? And so her mess is her mojo. Her mess keeps her moving forward. For some women, the mess is a signal that there's something else wrong, right? If the mess is, um, if the mess is not energizing to you and doesn't feel like momentum, it's a moment to say, okay, wait, how is this mess? It's loud and it's noisy and it's busy and sometimes fun, but is this driving me away from my dream? And you need to pivot and get back to the thing that's to honor that 16 year old dream that you had for yourself. Well, that's And yet, can I ask though, because it brought it brought up a question I had earlier, which was, you know, when what derails us, you know, uh, as we are sixteen, having these big dreams in our bedrooms and hoping for the best. Um, did you talk to young women who felt like they missed their calling or have yet to fulfill their big life, and they don't know how to get it together? Like, what when they are struggling, what are the reasons? So, a lot of them. The dream was not so specific, right? The dream was a feeling. I want to be big time. I want to make my mark. I want to be loved and I want to have a big family. I want to do something that's meaningful, right? It's not like a specific goal. And so sometimes we're so goal oriented, you know, you get on the path. One of the young women called it the achievement train, right? You're on the achievement train in high school and then in college and you must pick a major. And then after, you know, it's sort of like you just go, go, go. And um, but for a lot of young women, they don't, they're not, they're not on a path, right? They're, they're searching around for that feeling. And I think there's a lot of value in that search. Try new things, see what feels good, see what brings you meaning and happiness, right? And, and surround yourself with other women who are also feeling their way 
um, towards this idea of the big life. The big life is not only for high achieving alpha women, right? It's not just the girl who's sitting at the front of the class with her hand up in the air. We are now talking, and it's not leadership, right? That idea of of leadership of a select few doesn't resonate with me. This is this is a monumental shift among young women who all want to achieve and all want to have a big life and a meaningful life and a big love, right? That this is not just, um, it's not for special or leaders. This is everybody. Um, so the, um, so, so, they're, the things that are derailing young women are are a lack of confidence that they will ever find the thing. I mean, it de- derails everybody, right? Everybody sort of suffers from that. I call it the escape hatch. You think, oh, this is so hard. I'm never going to find the thing that's meaningful to me. I'm just going to go I'm going to go move back home and marry my high school boyfriend. I'm just going to sit here and just be happy and tread water at this job. At least I'm making money. And you know, that escape hatch is a pretty seductive idea. And maybe those things are really right for you. But the thing that I caution against is like, just like an escape hatch in like a sci-fi movie where you're like, that alien is coming for me. I'm going to, I'm going to use the escape hatch here. You know, by the final scene, you're going to have to fight that alien anyway. And Mm. so it's, it's a, it's a valuable fight to figure out what brings you meaning. I'm really happy you said that. And I'm really happy that you brought up confidence as a barrier to entry or lack of confidence. And I find that even looking at some of my friends from college who had big dreams, bigger dreams than I ever had. And I think it overwhelmed them to the point that they were afraid to make a decision that they felt didn't have, didn't check off all the boxes that were, you know, that they just couldn't see how this puzzle piece was going to fit into their big picture plan. And so instead they did nothing. It paralyzed them. They were working at Olive Garden for a year, living at home in Pittsburgh. You know, it's the shoulds. We are so trapped by the things that we should do. And we don't ask ourselves enough about what do you want to do? And, and sometimes that's really hard, right? Because sometimes the thing you think you want to do, there's no clear cut path. I hear all the time from young women that they don't have role models, that they're not seeing other women living their lives the way that they would like to model their lives. And I, and I think the more that we get away from this idea of what you should do and celebrate the possibilities and the opportunities and the twists and turns of when of how your career could go or how your relationship could go or how your family could go or how not having a family could go, the better off we'll all be rather than trying to conform to one path. I love also in your book, how you talk about, you know, gathering these, the rest of the pieces, not just career, but relationship too. So how do you choose the right partner And by right partner, I think you mean the one that's going to support your success and not be intimidated because I think that is a still a very traditional reality that women and men in heterosexual relationships deal with. We have these ambitious women and ambitious men and their their interests collide. So I expected that the most ambitious women around my dining room table would want to be with the most ambitious men. But in a lot of cases, they were not. It was these alpha women who kind of chose the beta guy, right? The, not that he was unambitious, but that he wasn't as hard charging and driven as she was and was and was f- 
phenomenally happy to support her dreams and her schedule, right? The scheduling is sometimes the hardest part of being in a relationship with um, crazy busy people. And they were blissfully happy. And which is not to say that's always the case, but it's a possibility, right? It helps, it helps open up the doors. The thing that I say is to look for the guy or frankly, the woman or however it is that you want to find your relationship, whose eyes light up when you talk about your ambition, right? When you talk about the things that matter to you. So often, like I would hear stories that of these, you know, sort of dating horror stories, but I would hear these stories that when they would start talking about their jobs, the guy's eyes would glaze over, right? And to be honest, there's some... um you need to sort of modulate your pitch, right? You don't want to come hard charging. It's not the office. This is not a job interview, right? You want to connect with someone on a human level, but you want them not to diminish you or to put you in a small box. When I was single and I was dating uh, and I was uh, the executive editor of Cosmo Girl and like, I, you know, to be the executive editor of a major magazine was a big deal for me. And I was excited to talk about my job, but I would, I would see guys who would say, oh, you and those girly conversations or like, what are you doing? You're just talking about boys and pop stars. And like, you know, yes, we talked about boys and pop stars and yes, it was girly conversations, but the business of being in business was important to me. And I just never, I could, I could never be with those guys. Um, and so, you know, I, that's the piece. Look for the guy whose eyes light up when you talk about your ambitions. One of the best pieces of advice I got um, shortly after I became editor-in-chief of Seventeen was from a senior executive at Hearst who said that choosing a partner is the most important decision you'll make about your own success. And it's true, right? That if you are ambitious and busy, you need a partner who's going to to support that idea, right? Who's going to allow for that. Um, you know, my husband and I um, are true partners in our family and in our life together. And which is not to say we don't have arguments of like, well, I have a meeting and you have a meeting and how are we both going to navigate that? But we navigate it, right? It's a conversation. It's a back and forth. It is. I agree. I completely agree. I, mean, I wrote a whole book about women breadwinners and a big uh, what I found too in the most successful relationships were women who, uh, un, you know, there was an understanding between she and her husband that, you know, that there, there's no room for ridicule or judgment or, um, you know, pu- uh, preventing someone from preventing her mainly from pursuing her path. I and mean, that's like something you have to just decide and agree on in the beginning of the relationship. And that he being a supportive partner was as critical to her as, you know, probably the most critical aspect of her life. Because if without him, she couldn't then thrive at work. She couldn't have the kids too. So we have to give a lot of credit to men, I think, who are willing to take on that role. And um, I think there's a lot of learning still to be had in that department because I still get the letters from the young women who are the sort of, you know, born leaders, type A, super ambitious in the very like traditional sense who want to also marry their match. Mm-hmm. They want to get their equal. And I'm putting air quotes around these words. And um, what I try to sort of get them to understand and appreciate is that, yes, you should you should strive for someone who's going to be amazing and will love you and is 
in many ways you're equal, but it doesn't have to be your career equal or your Ivy League equal or your right. You're not equal. ticking boxes. Yeah, it's someone who you actually share values, and that's how they're you're equal. It's how you um, appreciate and see the world, and that's how you're equal. And that goes a lot further than just you know a resume that matches your resume. So I remember at your book party. I met some of the women who were in the audience and talked to them a little bit. And the women who were the breadwinners, I wasn't quite clear if they had sort of set out to be the breadwinner in their family, right? It just seemed to have just happened. And yet I'm actually meeting a lot of young women who are saying, I want to be the breadwinner in my family. This is a real point of pride for me. And that feels like a crazy big shift, right? It's like we've suddenly zoomed from this idea of, well, I'll be on his team, and then we like we sort of zoomed right past partnership of equals to well I'm perfectly happy and comfortable being the breadwinner. That's a new idea. That's awesome. That's a great shift. I, I didn't hear that a lot when I was researching my book. In fact, just the other month, I was having dinner with a girlfriend who is a little younger than I am, runs her own business, has always been very career successful. Literally, say out loud, I just want a man to take care of me. Oh yeah, <laughs> because she, I think maybe overdid it, you know, and to the point where now she's not, she's not seeing the fruits of her work. Instead, she's just seeing like the stress and the lack of time management and the fact that she hasn't been on vacation in a while and she's doing it all on her own. And um, also maybe her father was a very traditional father that he took care of his wife and the family and she's getting that influence. Um, So it's, I still hear that as well, but it's really refreshing to know that there are young women who are setting out for a path like that. And um, the the good men are out there who will support you. And that's another great piece of the news. It sounds like she just wants somebody to take a little bit of the pressure off, right? Like just some of it that maybe she wouldn't really be comfortable being taken care of, but that like just, it's like a fantasy vacation, right? right? And by the way, I think if you're in a relationship, you each have to take care of each other. This idea of being taken care of is not like you're going to be the doormat. It's that you know, you should want to be in a relationship where your partner looks out for you and wants to care and nurture you, but that not that you're relinquishing your own power, you know, in, in, in that process. Yeah. Um, I think that's yes. the misunderstanding. Anyway, let's get back to uh, game-changing, rule-breaking rules for millennial women. What were some of the other kind of um, surprise, even for you, because I, I imagine you've kind of heard it all, seen it all in your career, but as you were researching this book, what were some of the more provocative things that you came across as far as how young women were curating their lives? You know, what I thought was such a big shift um, was this idea of sisterhood and community. And we've like the idea of like networking where you've got like a glass of lukewarm Chardonnay in one hand and a stack of business cards in the oh, other. Lukewarm Chardonnay is the best. <laughs> Put some ice in that. It's the war, exactly. But that idea, that kind of networking has really been replaced by young women who are in tight knit chick clicks helping each other through their work, in work and in life, but mostly at work. And it's not your best friends, right? These are not your like your ride or die besties. These are the women who your I call them your squad, right? That they're the chicks who are there, who everybody knows the rules. We're here, all here to help each other succeed at work and in life. And we're going to trade tips and contacts and advice and talk through um, 
the some of the most complicated issues. And so that was what started around my dinner table. And I was thrilled to have these women, but they were all also part of their own networking. They're all at their own networks of other women that they saw for dinner once or twice a week or for drinks uh, when I'm sorry, once or twice a month or for drinks once a month. And so that to me is a huge change. You know, this idea Madeline Albright um, used to say, which I, which I know was sort of a hot button issue earlier this year, um, that there's a cold place in hell for women who don't support other women. And yet that idea comes from a time where, women were not supporting each other because there wasn't room for more than one woman at the table. And so now there's endless amount of room at the table and women are actually supporting each other. I spend a lot of my days at the wing, which, you know, has gotten a lot of press recently, but I love this idea that they're creating a community and a sisterhood out of a co-working space. I see that too. Yeah. The wing, there's a couple others like it. And even some of my friends run networking circles, for women, um, mastermind circles for women. I think it's, I was going to point that out too, that I think that that's very uh, new agey. Uh, I don't think that our mother's generations necessarily had that support, but you also bring up a good point that it wasn't because they didn't want to, it was just the system. Um, So that's nice to see. All right. And we are time out right now. So thank you so much. This has been a huge conversation that I know is just beginning. And I'm so happy that you are spearheading this. Where has the book taken you? I think you're doing a lot of speaking around this too. I mean, we need you out there more and more. You know, I am. And I'm so thrilled to meet young women and and travel with the book and to talk to them about the things that matter and to pay attention, you know, to what's making their eyes light up, what's making them excited in the world, because I do feel like it's their world. And um, we, sh- we all need to be a little more millennial in our way of thinking. I'm so inspired by them. I love that. We all need to be a little bit more millennial. And uh, I also wrote down a quote of yours here. Where did I put it? Oh, uh, gosh, I think I lost. Oh, f- um, make your mess your mojo. <laughs> yes. Make your mess your mojo. I wrote that down. I think that's that's beautiful. Thank you. Uh, and Shoket, thank you so much. Your book is called The Big Life and it's out now. Everybody encourage you if you it's a great read for you, but also if you have a young woman in your life or maybe an older woman in your life and you need to get a little millennial in her action. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about Anne, her website is annshoquette.com. And as I mentioned, her newsletter is fantastic. The book, again, is called The Big Life. And she's on Twitter at Anne Choquette. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. By the way, if you have any questions for me, you always can reach me. Go to somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh or leave a voicemail, and we will get back to you in an upcoming Ask Farnoosh episode airing every Friday. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I hope your day is so money. Money.